On that night, the king could not sleep. And he gave orders to bring the book of the memorable deeds, the chronicles, and they were read before the king. And it was found written how Mordecai had told about Bigthana and Teresh, two of the king's eunuchs, who guarded the threshold, and who had sought to lay hands on King Ahasuerus. And the king said, What honor or distinction has been bestowed on Mordecai for this? The king's young men who attended him said, Nothing has been done for him. And the king said, Who is in the court? Now Haman had just entered the outer court of the king's palace to speak to the king about having Mordecai hanged on the gallows that he had prepared for him. And the king's young men told him, Haman is there, standing in the court. And the king said, Let him come in. So Haman came in, and the king said to him, What should be done to the man whom the king delights to honour? And Haman said to himself, Whom would the king delight to honour more than me? And Haman said to the king, For the man whom the king delights to honour, let royal robes be brought, which the king has worn, and the horse that the king has ridden, and on whose head a royal crown is set. And let the robes and the horse be handed over to one of the king's most noble officials. Let them dress the man whom the king delights to honour. And let them lead him on the horse through the square of the city, proclaiming before him, Thus shall it be done to the man whom the king delights to honour. Then the king said to Haman, Hurry, take the robes and the horse, as you have said, and do, and do so to Mordecai the Jew who sits at the king's gate. Leave out nothing that you have mentioned. So Haman took the robes and the horse, and he dressed Mordecai and led him through the square of the city, proclaiming before him, Thus shall it be done to the man whom the king delights to honour. Then Mordecai returned to the king's gate, but Haman hurried to his house, mourning and with his head covered. And Haman told his wife Zeresh and all his friends everything that had happened to him. Then his wise men and his wife Zeresh said to him, If Mordecai, before whom you have begun to fall, is of the Jewish people, you will not overcome him, but will surely fall before him. So with Esther chapter 6 open, we'll pray. We thank you, our Heavenly Father, that you have given us a precious gift in your word. And as we read your word, we are strangely helped to be attracted to you. Because how you work and what you say can be very strange in our ears. It doesn't conform to how sometimes we see life, and particularly how we see cultural life and our day-to-day -day experience. So, Lord, give us ears to hear. Give us hearts open to receive your word and help us to surrender our lives to you as we live out to your glory in the coming week. In Jesus' name, amen. So the very pleased and wicked Haman 
strides powerfully towards the palace in the early morning. His aim was to get the king to agree to the cruel, unjust execution of Mordecai. Haman, I think, joyfully anticipates the death of Mordecai on the 75-foot foot gallows pole or stake he has built. Haman believes that no one or nothing can stop him. The problem was that Haman couldn't see the past, couldn't see the present, and couldn't see the future. And he had no understanding whatsoever that there was an unseen God who controls the whole of history. The Lord would see to it that the wicked Haman was taken down and the righteous oppressed Mordecai was lifted up in honor. That's the main point, just so you know. During the night, the king could not sleep as the Lord obviously had kept him awake in verse 1. The hidden God doing his work. To occupy his time, the king got the history book out of his reign and had it read to him, the chronicle of memorable deeds. This was the story of the king's greatness and the proud replaying of his achievements. But then came the report of Mordecai, saving the king's life from Bigthana and Teresh, as had been mentioned in chapter 2. The question of how Mordecai had been honoured in public now arose, verse 3. And it came so pressing that the unhonoured Mordecai must be honoured at once. You see, the Lord is seeing to it that the oppressed righteous person is going to be lifted up. The king asks who is in the court, verse 4, and just, it just so happens that proud, wicked Haman is strutting in to get Mordecai executed. You just love reading this story, don't you? Haman wants to get rid of this man forever. And now we see that proud evil thought is no competition for God. And that even wickedness serves God's saving purpose. God uses pride because pride is so easily deceived, isn't it? The king asks, verse 6, what should be done to the man whom the king delights to honor? Verse 6. And we hear Haman's pathetic, proud heart. Verse 6. Who would the king delight to honor more than me? In one gigantic selfie, Haman describes the honor he craves for himself, which, don't miss it, is the honor the Lord intends for Mordecai. Don't you want to laugh? I do anyway. The Lord is seeing to it that evil is taken down and the oppressed righteous are lifted up. Haman saw himself dressed in royal robes that the king had worn. 
on a horse the king had ridden, wearing the royal crown as an important noble, walked alongside saying, Thus it shall be done to the man whom the king delights to honour. Verses 7 to 9. Here Haman imagines his moment of greatest victory and joy. Could there be anything greater? And now comes the moment where the Lord begins to take down evil and humble the proud. Now comes the moment when the Lord lifts the oppressed righteous man because the king says, it's Mordecai the Jew. Verses 10 to 11. Haman is to lead the culture in honoring the man who the king delights in. And it wasn't him. Haman, who had planned to humiliate the man, now has to exalt the man. This is not the end, but the beginning, as verses 12 to 13 tell us. Mordecai returns to serve the king at the gate in his normal pattern of living, interestingly. Haman returns home covered in shame and grief, not in honor at all. And his wife, family, and counselors tell him that the writing is on the wall. He will surely fall before Mordecai. Even the pagans began to see the truth of an irresistible power saving the Jews. Tom Holland is a historian. In his book, Dominion, he tells the story how he came back to God. He had favored the strong in the history that he wrote about. When he read the Bible, he loved the power plays and conquest of the Romans, and he kind of despised the weak Jesus. He had understood from his reading that the cross was the conquering king, crushing weak people who deserved it like slaves. But slowly but surely, these power plays began to disturb him. Job to, quote, a complete lack of any sense that the poor or the weak have the slightest intrinsic value. The true perspective of the cross began to challenge his mind. He understood that for the Romans and the Jews to believe that a crucified man be hailed or honored as a god on a cross was scandalous, obscene, and grotesque. But now he understood that God was closer to the weak and not to the strong. He was closer to the poor, not to the rich. And so he has this quote in Dominion, page 524. It's a great quote. I'm going to give it to you anyway. I have to do that. I just have to do that. Quote, to be a Christian is to believe that God became man and suffered a death as terrible as any mortal has ever suffered. This is why the cross, that ancient symbol of torture, remains what it has always been, the fitting symbol of Christian revolution. It is the audacity of it, the audacity of finding in a twisted, defeated corpse the glory of the creator of the universe, that it serves to explain more surely than anything else the sheer strangeness of Christianity. The sheer strangeness of Christianity. End quote.
Mordecai didn't go to the gallows, did he? But in salvation history, as we move along hundreds and hundreds of years, the Son of God did. Impaled on a cross for you and for me. The oppressed righteous man hangs on the gallows, and get it, we built. As sinners, we proudly wanted rid of Jesus forever. And the Lord has used our wickedness, if I may put it that way, to save us from our sin. The man most despised by humanity is now exalted in heaven. That is what God has done to the man he delights in. So you know these words, but I'm going to read them to you when I find them. Philippians chapter 2. Let this mind be in you that was also in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a slave, literally, being form, born in the likeness of men and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. The wonderful strangeness of the sovereign God saving us. We are all Haman in the story by nature. We need to understand that. And we are all Mordecai by God's grace in Christ. So I was glad that Jeremy actually read Luke chapter 18 because it's actually in my notes. And I did a little dance when he read it. Though, not that you saw. The Pharisee and the publican. A man exalting himself, strutting his stuff before God. And he went home, not right with God, and a very unhappy man. The tax collector, if you'd had seen him, and if he was in, if he was in Egbert on a Sunday morning, you might have actually I said, oh dear, I think I'll be staying away from this guy. He's beating his breast. God, be merciful to me, a sinner. And as a man humbles himself and reaches out to the God of grace and mercy, he is exalted within himself. He is made right with God in the temple and goes home justified. He goes home happy. Oh, the strangeness of it. If you're a Christian this evening, you will identify with what I've just said. There came a time when we had to humble ourselves and just own up that we were sinners and we deserved God's condemnation. Yes, we had to own up to it. We had to humble ourselves and down we went and then we got exalted spiritually, made alive, the Bible says, brought into the presence of God and calling him our Father. 
with one day, of course, with this prospect, as we will see by the end, and I'm, I am nearly finished, but by the, by the end, we will be exalted into the presence of God as Jesus is. Oh, the strangeness of Christianity. Mordecai, the man God delights to honor, so we in Christ have a gospel calling to a proud world. The wonderful strangeness of Christianity is the most effective means of speaking to the world about the love of God. We don't want to be weird, do we? All right? So we end up wearing the same kind of clothes the culture wears because we don't want to be weird. But we don't want to be cool either, do we? Because that means I'm, I'm working for cultural acceptance. That is not going to exalt God, is it? No, no, we have a calling. We have to be strange, wonderfully, joyfully strange in a good way. Listen to Paul in 1 Corinthians chapter 1. Instead, God has chosen what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God has chosen what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God has chosen what is insignificant and despised in the world, what is viewed as nothing, to bring to nothing what is viewed as something, so that no one can boast in his presence. It is from him that you are in Christ Jesus, who became wisdom from God for us, our righteousness, sanctification, and redemption, in order, as it is written, that the one who boasts, boasts in the Lord. That's our calling. And finally, as Mordecai, the man God delights to honor spiritually, as the spiritual Mordecai is the man or women God delights to honor. So the, in the glorious Christ, we have a glorious destiny. We have a glorious destiny. He is exalted above us right now, isn't he? You believe that? So do I. One day he will reappear, won't he? I hope you believe that too. And if we are in Christ, we will appear with him. How about that? If you have been raised with Christ, set, seek the things that are above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. We're safe and secure. There's a mystery to our lives. There is a mysterious strangeness to our lives. But when Christ, who is your life, appears then you also will appear with him in glory. But what does God the Father in God the Son and God the Spirit, how does he delight to honor us? Ultimately, the pinnacle of it all is taking a redeemed humanity of which you and I are included, if we are in Christ, and display us before all the unbelieving world that has ever existed, and all the devils and the demons. And he says, there is my glory. There is my victory. 
and the whole of proud, wicked humanity will see us exalted in that grace and honoured by the Father. And the whole proud, wicked humanity will be told to leave. They exalted themselves against God and he will humble. And those of us who are in Christ by his grace, who have humbled ourselves and reached out for salvation, exalted, that's our destiny. What a strange thing Christianity is.